On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talked to Rob Oosterhaus, um, who has had uh, quite an interesting career. Um, that last name may sound familiar to listeners. Um, Rob is Peter Oosterhaus's son. Peter, of course, the famous um, English golfer who uh, played on the PGA Tour um, and um, probably about five or six Ryder Cup teams, and uh, then um, had a long career as a commentator for CBS on their golf telecasts. Um, uh, so Rob, uh, uh, of course, got interested in the game through his dad, and we talk a little bit at the beginning about uh, some of his experiences with his dad. And um, uh, But Rob sort of um, went beyond just playing, although he was quite a skilled player, played at UCLA, um, and, um, but, uh, as we talk about, he ended up, um, working, uh, at a few four seasons resorts and got into the management side and, um, uh, then kind of, um, uh, over the last, um, oh, I don't know, about 10 or so years of his career, he's, um, sort of gone into the management side at private clubs. Um, and today he's the general manager, chief operating officer, at really one of the elite clubs in the country, the Royal Palm Yacht and Golf Club in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, he was previously at Sherwood Country Club uh, out here in Southern California in Thousand Oaks. So he's had really a, 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 a tremendous career and a very thoughtful guy on all sorts of topics relating to management. And we um, sort of the last half hour or so of the podcast, we get into that and some of the things he's doing at Royal Palm and kind of his philosophy. So wide-ranging uh, and really fun podcast uh, with uh, Rob Oosterhouse um, coming up next here on Larry the Golf Guy. Welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And uh, I'm really pleased today to have joining us uh, Rob Oosterhouse. Rob, thank you so much for making time for us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. And um, Rob, of course, currently is a GM and CEO at Royal Palm Yacht and Country Club in Boca Raton. But that's um, uh, where he is today. There's a there's a path and where he got there. Um, and so we'll go back uh, maybe to start um, doing a little chronologically, Rob, and um, maybe talk about kind of where you grew up and kind of how you uh, first got interested in golf. Sure. Uh, you know, interest kind of a roundabout way of getting to where I am. Um, made a few loops around the globe. I was born in London, father's English, mother's South African. And so we sort of split time between there when I was really young. And then my wound up settling in Santa Barbara, which is really where I grew up. And my brother was born there in 77. I was born in London in 73. So um, with, the, with the exception of a little stint in South Africa, few years later, uh, we really went entire grade school, junior high, high school in Santa Barbara. Um, you know, part of the reason for that, you know, is ties in with your question about getting interested in golf is, you know, my dad was, in, 
again, I, I try not to make a big deal out of it, but it was, he was a pretty big deal in the golf world. at the time. I, I, was I, I think we can, we can suffice it to say Peter Oosterhaus was a very big deal. Um, all the Ryder yeah. Cup teams, you know, uh, yeah. so close at the masters and a couple of in other major yeah. championships, uh, tremendous. And then of course, tremendous career as a, as a commentator. So I'm, I'm good with making a big deal. He's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, he, uh, you know, when I talked to so many people over the last few years, you know, he worked for, you know, actually did the first ever golf channel broadcast uh, that they oh, had wow. from Dubai in 94. Yeah. I think it was just probably coincidence. It was him and Renton Laidlaw. And that was, that was the thing that was the earliest on TV. And so that wow. was the, the feed that was coming through. And it's funny, you can actually find it online. I think somebody sent it to me and I watched it a couple of times, just, you know, sort of these two guys figuring out what they were going to do on the, on the golf, on the broadcast with not a whole lot of rules, which was one of the reasons I really like to watch European golf, you know, when it was not formulaic at all. And right. they just, you know, you get a little bit of that when you watch, I'm getting off track, but maybe that's a part of the, that's okay. The Go ahead. Is, Go, you know, it's you, good. You watch some of the broadcasts that you, especially that you see in South Africa and you get guys that a lot of people in the States don't know, um, like De Dale Hayes and Dennis Hutchinson, right. um, you know, Dennis Hutchinson, he was a great amateur golfer in the fifties and I think turned pro in the sixties and from South Africa and Dale Hayes, who for years told, I think Danny Lee a few years ago was the youngest winner on the European tour for years. But they just, I mean, these guys, along with Tony Johnstone, who was one of the greatest um, as well, these guys, there is, they don't go off script because there is no script and it's really, really great. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, that was, that was, you know, I liked watching what dad did. Um, there and so anyway yeah he obviously he was a, a pretty well-known golfer um in the world and i think if you if you dig around deep on the internet you can find where mark mccormick had a had a world golf first iteration of the world golf ranking and don't ask me how he did it i don't know oh form, wow that's cool is but yeah it's pretty cool and so you find it from the you know about the first I want to say the, the first part of the seventies, I think he started doing it. And, and my assumption is that Mark did it to highlight his clients who probably were occupying much of the top 10 of the world. Right. And yeah. Maybe, so maybe just, I'll just I interject think, for some people don't know Mark. Yeah. Of course, you know, he had Palmer, Nicholas, I mean, famously Palmer, I think to start, but Palmer, Nicholas and player and kind of marketed yeah. them as the big three, right. At that time and everything. Yeah. And founded I am, founded IMG. Fund, exactly. Yeah. Founded IMG, just a huge person in sports management. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think he was one of Arnold's teammates at Wake Forest, if I'm correct. And I think that's, I think I that he might realized be right. he couldn't play and uh, he couldn't play, but he was realized he could make money off the guy who could play, which was pretty <laughs> clever. Um, so, yeah. And I think, I think anyway, in Mark's world rankings, um, they, I think he was top 10, number six, number seven, somewhere in uh, 1973, 74. So he was obviously playing at a pretty high level. Yeah. Um, led there, what they call the order of merit um, from 1971 through 74, uh, which is that was, again, fun side story. The uh, David Williams, who's the chair chairman of the European tour, who also coincidentally happens to be a member at the club where my dad grew up playing, uh, met him a few years ago. And so he's kind enough to send me little things and tidbits about dad. And so that's when they cool. were in Dubai at the end of the race, yeah, really cool. At the end of the race to Dubai, he sent me a picture of the the trophy that the, you know, basically their version of the tour championship, the trophy that he's going to get. And he showed me, took a close up of dad's name on it, which I guess, yeah. Okay. You did. You won their, you won their season points race and had a different name. It was the Varden trophy actually, ironically, when he won it in, uh, okay. in the early seventies. And 
So yeah, again, this is maybe giving you a little insight of how I got into golf. Yeah, um, you know, and, and how we wound up in California because I think Dad, um, kudos to him, and you know, sort of maybe a little bit ahead of his time, or maybe maybe saw what like a Gary Player had done a little bit. Um, Tony Jacklin never quite did was say, okay, I've I've dominated Europe. There there really was other than trying to win the Open. Uh, frankly, I think there was nothing really to conquer. I mean, yes, you could keep winning money in, in Europe and um, yeah, don't look up. If you want to get depressed, look up how much money he won in Europe uh, those years and then try and convert <laughs> it sure. today, today's dollars or pounds or euros. And so there was a, there was more money, even though it was still, still not much uh, in the States at that time, but there was a lot more money, a lot more opportunity in the U S. And I think just, I think he realized things were a lot more evolved. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he Played a little bit in the U.S. Played in the in the Masters in 1973, and sort of, you know, infamously, I was going to say famously, but I guess infamously, had a three-shot lead going into the last round. And yeah. And uh, you know, I think by the back nine, he sort of fell out of it. And really, when you talk to him, he said, "Oh, it was 15." You know, he blocked a shot right, a 15, and it was raining. And he had to hit a trying to hit a downhill pitch towards a front pin off of mud, and you know, kind of hit it a little heavy and then wound up making bogey on 15, which is kind of a cardinal sin. So, um, you know, but I think he'd had a good experience there, um, finished, uh, you know, I think he knew he could compete obviously then with the big boys. Um, but also 1970 finished six in the British open at St. Andrews when, you know, Jack famously beat, beat Doug Sanders in the playoff and, um, you know, and then the next year, 74, he, uh, lost in a playoff to, again, just the kid. So it's like this one degree away from a mate from amazing history, he lost in a playoff to Lee Elder, which allowed Lee. Right. The Monsanto open, the right. That was Monsanto yeah, open. Monsanto for open. Lee to qualify. Yeah. Monsanto right. open. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, in Pensacola, which is probably, you know, was better off named the Pensacola open than Monsanto these days, but, um, <laughs> no offense to the good folks at uh, Monsanto <laughs> proud, proud sponsors of the podcast. Um, so, and then, uh, you know, also in 74, he had a, had a, had a, I don't want to call it a battle because I think, you know, he probably felt like he was chasing, but when he finished second to Gary player at the open at, uh, at Royal Lytham with him. Right. And, you know, never, you know, the last few holes, Gary did a few things that were interesting, you know, sort of hit it in the rough that they almost couldn't find the ball. And then they did. And then on the last hole, he hit it up against the clubhouse. And, oh, you know, famously. Still, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 With, yeah with, you with still, the, there's a lot yeah. of shots. You see Gary hitting a left-handed putter from, uh, yeah. from up against yeah. the clubhouse. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's what took him to the, to the U S and, um, you know, in, in 75, again, he, he almost won Billy Casper, um, as, as, a, as I read in one of the old tour media guides, Billy Casper had a birdie barrage um, on the back nine at New Orleans to beat dad by a shot or two. And, um, so he had a lot, you know, a lot of close calls there once he'd moved to the States. And, uh, you know, and then that's when we were sort of settling in, settled our, actually our reason for winding up in Santa Barbara is semi-fascinating and and interesting to Southern California. Yeah. I was just going to ask you how you picked Santa, ended up in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Well, yeah, fairly. Again, it wouldn't, you wouldn't throw it. I mean, other than anybody who's lived or been around Montecito, knowing that it's fantastic, you wouldn't necessarily say this is where I'm going to create a golf career. But, um, I think at the time, you know, you things being semi-archaic as they were, you look, okay, where do you want, where do you want to go? Well, you want to go somewhere where the weather is decent. Um, yeah. So you look at Florida, like, and that's why everybody winds up just north of where I am now. Right. 
Um, and you know, you could, I mean, you, you can't go to a restaurant in West Palm or Jupiter without bumping into a couple of tour pros. Uh, so we looked at Florida. They also looked at Dallas, um, which having lived in Dallas for six years, I don't know that I'd necessarily pick that as the spot, but uh, although there are a lot of tour players who live in that yeah. area and a lot of great yeah. players who come out of that area, but I think maybe more for travel at the time, um, you know, right. being what it was where it's, you know, direct flights, it was, you know, a lot easier to travel across the U S from Dallas. Sure. Sure. And uh, somehow, and I, I guess I should figure out, I should ask, find out exactly how this happened, but he became friendly with Al Geiberger in, in the seventies. Okay. And I, I don't know what the connection exactly was there, but um, Al's mother had passed away in late 73, I think, uh, or 74, some 74, 75, somewhere in there and uh, 74. And his father was living in Montecito and Al said, you know, my, he, my dad was having this conversation with him about where they were going to live. And Al said, you know, you, I know you want to move to the States. I know you're going to come you'd be doing me a favor by staying with my dad. He's in this big house. He's all alone, you know, cause now it's my mom, you know, I'm just born. I'm a year old or something like that. And um, so we wound up staying with Al Geiberger, uh, Al Geiberger senior's father, Ray Geiberger. And, you know, it was, I still have pictures of me on Al on Ray's front lawn and that's funny uh, messing around. Yeah. And so my mom being from South Africa, and like every other normal human being goes to Santa Barbara, fell in love with the place. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's you know, gorgeous. Her, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, again, for the listeners, if you haven't been there, yeah, get out it's there. gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, and it'll, they'll kind of come full circle here in a, in a minute. But, uh, you know, Al, you know, Al, uh, Al lived just, you know, a mile up the road from his father, too. And my mother, just felt like the climate, the flora, the, you know, or sure. everything reminded her of South Africa. And so bought, bought a couple acres of land, built a house. And, and that's where we, that's where we wound up. And uh, there was a club or is a club um, at the time called Montecito country club. They rebranded. And so they gave, had given Al a membership and they gave my father a membership. And so off they went and that, you know, so he had a place to play, which is that was one, you know, one thing checked off the list and yeah. uh sort of the rest is history. And then for me, you know, I just, I guess you got to that age of my, I think my earliest golf memories, I, I have a vague trace of a memory of 1978 um, being at, and now, so that puts me at just four years old um, being at the old course hotel in St. Andrews. Oh, wow. And my, okay. Again, again, interestingly enough, dad, another close call leading the British open tied with, I mean, this is, this is, a yeah, this is a, another, and another, another Nicholas victory, right. Cause we're, that's yeah, when he beat yeah. Simon Owen coming down the stretch. Right. Uh, yeah, the I know. yeah. Shout out to Simon Owen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nicholas dad, dad was tied with Watson going the last round and Nicholas and a bunch of other guys. I mean, I think it was Crenshaw and Ray Floyd and Simon Owen, and I'm forgetting somebody else's name in there, but um, yeah, dad had a one shot lead yada 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 came down you know one two shots behind going on 17 and he said you know he's got a 40 footer that he's got to give a run to and you know knocks it five feet past and misses the one coming back so it winds yeah. up finishing six um but yeah so that's my a vague vague memory but really my you know i remember watching him win when he he really had some down years in 79 and 80 and really actually 81 was he he had one or two okay tournaments in 80 but 81 was 
pretty abysmal and I'm sure he was questioning a lot of things. And then a guy who you'll, you'll know, uh, Bert Yancey. Um, yeah. Who, oh, for again, sure. It was, yeah. I think probably when you talk to a lot of guys on tour, like, you know, even Nicholas and some other guys, they would talk about Bert as being someone who, you know, he had his, his own personal challenges that he, that yeah. he later kind of worked through on the senior tour. But he, uh, I think dad was just a mess with the golf game and Bert, he played a practice round with him or played around with him and he said, you have you, everything time you step up to the ball, you're doing something different. He said, well, what do you mean? He says, you have no routine. He said, I, he says, it doesn't matter what it is, just have a routine. And, um, you know, so I, it's something that I, I think about, you know, for, you know, for whenever I play today, you know, today, even if my routine changes from round to round, I try and stick with one routine right, right. in the round. Um, I talked to my, my youngest daughter who's becoming, little bit of a competitive golfer now i try and tell oh, her cool. have, a, have a plan yeah. yeah have a plan so um and so he breaks through in 81 i remember watching the last couple holes on uh on tv in 81 and glenn this abbey is, which is this canadian open right where his victory canadian open Canadian open and again full circle jack nicholas had a 20 yeah. footer on the last hole for eagle to tie and left it dead in the center about two inches short so and famously, um, right? That's like the one tournament. I think Jack was runner-up a gazillion times. He yeah, never, yeah, never I, been it, won it. I think four times, and he designed Glen Abbey too. So right, it, was, right. it was salt, salt in the wounds. Um, you know, and I think that was when you know, again, at that point, I'm seven years old, and I remember in '82 traveling with him. You know, again, I, I was telling this to my kids the other day and they looked at me like I had three heads. I was eight years old and I got on a plane by myself really? from LAX. Yeah, from LAX, flew by myself to, um, I'm going to get the order backwards. I think we flew, I flew to Houston first. I think it went, you know, Houston, Byron Nelson, you know, whatever, you know, that Byron Nelson and uh, Colonial. Maybe I actually probably went Colonial and then Houston. Um, Cause I think Houston always used to be the week before the masters too. Right. That's right. Um, and I flew on a plane by myself cause my mom was, you know, my brother was little and, you know, I flew out and traveled with my dad for three weeks on tour and he actually happened to have a great week in Houston, finished top 10. And I, I remember again, crazy names from the past, Ed Sneed and Bob Shearer battling down. Yeah. I remember those guys. There. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, he had a good tournament there. And I think that's when I, I just really like being around golf and actually had this conversation with my wife last night when I was talking about walking around the golf course. And she said, wait, you were eight by yourself. I said, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would go all over the place. And so, um, you know, probably people had a little different viewpoint on things back in the day yeah. there and, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, again, but I had great times and, um, and then that summer traveled with dad, went to a few tournaments. You did, did Canada I remember being at, uh, you know, that going to Canada when he was the defending champion, which was a very cool experience. Yeah, I bet. And we were in, uh, Chicago, uh, at Butler national for yeah. the, what Western open, the Western open. Uh, yeah. I don't even, it doesn't even exist anymore. Does it? I don't remember. Not really. Um, I've, and, and that's kind of sad really. by the way, because Western open, really I mean, you know, going back to the days of Hagen, I mean, it was kind of a major back then. And, um, you know, yeah, back in the twenties and Evan scholarship, right? Exactly. Great history with the, with the, right. Exactly. With the golf association, Western golf association, it's kind of gone by the wayside. I think like it's sort of got folded into the playoffs and, but, but now the BMW yeah. kind of is, you know, is a caves Valley. It's kind of disappeared a little, which is sad, yeah. but I, it was a big tournament back then. 
Yeah, and we can. I mean, I don't know if we're going to run out of time today, but I'm <laughs> okay. talking about the problems of golf today too. Um, so yeah, it's uh, anyway. It's, that was where I got my first set of golf clubs. Um, Dad was on staff with Ram, and at the time, I think it was Watson, um, Dad, Peter Jacobson, and Calvin Pete. And you know, Jacobson was sort of just still figuring his way out on tour, and was you know a few years away from kind of being a star. Um, Calvin Pete was probably a year and a half away from everybody realizing this was the straightest hitter in all of golf. Right. Um, you know, please, if you listeners, if you don't know who Calvin Pete is, oh, he was go phenomenal. look him up online. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. So just what he did with, started with his, playing golf, I think when he was 23 or something. Well, and he had that elbow insane. that, you know, was sort of had that injury. So he had a swing, couldn't, you know, move his elbow fully and just, he was like a machine. Yeah. He was unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, I'll, I'll try and fast forward a couple of half a decade or so. So anyway, got clubs there, started playing golf and uh, yeah, played competitively in, uh, in high school in Santa Barbara, um, did relatively well in, in the area there, um, you know, just Santa Barbara junior golf, a little bit of Southern California golf. Um, probably the highlight or most memorable thing was playing LA Country Club. You know, I got a call from a guy who was working at Riviera said, Hey, you, uh, you're one of the top two ranked 12 year olds in Southern California. Okay. I don't know who's keeping track of this, but great. <laughs> and, uh, he said, I want to get you to play with the other guy in, in a match and we'll do a, we'll do 36 hole match play. Wow. And, uh, said, okay, great. Who's the other guy? He said, oh, it's a guy named Chris Riley. I'm like, okay. Well, Chris <laughs> Riley had won junior world and, and for right. listeners, no, he's a well-known Chris right. Riley exactly. made a Ryder cup team, yeah, super well-known San Diego yeah. area. Yeah. So, um, and just, uh, you know, Chris probably may probably won't listen to this and probably won't remember this, but he really put a beating to me on LA North. Um, and I was about a foot tall, I'm tall now. And I thought when I saw Chris, I thought I'm going to pound this midget into the ground. And, <laughs> and he, he used basically what looked like calamity jane to putt with at the time okay. oh, God, i wish i would have had a picture um and he was a great putter and just drove the ball like an arrow um and then actually for the sort of the few years after that um was when dad transitioned off the tour and was took a club job in new jersey and so we wound up spending we'd go to school in santa barbara during the school year head out to new jersey in the summer and then dad would come out right just before thanksgiving and be in in santa barbara um till March, till season kicked off in New Jersey again. And so, um, again, we don't have to get too deep into New Jersey golf, but what a special place to hold match oh, area. totally. Is, yeah. Philadelphia, New Jersey, and New York. And, and we've so, had a whole bunch of people from Philly on. I mean, we had Jim Smith yeah. from Cricket. We had yeah, David yeah, Reisner yeah, from Ridgewood. That. I mean, that whole, of course, yeah. Pine Valley is in the, you know, not far from Philly. I mean, and, you know, we had, you know, Miriam with Scott and I, we've had some people have been joking with me. It's like the Philadelphia golf show. I mean, I've had like probably a half dozen, person, yeah. but it's a great yeah. area for golf. No question. Yeah. And I, I was lucky enough. Dad was still interested in playing and was competitive. And, you know, when, in those days, when you played competitively in the New Jersey section or the Met section, you were playing in some guys with a lot of tour experience. Yes. Guys who played on tour and been grinding, grinding it out. Um, you know, so he had some success there and I was lucky enough to get to caddy for a lot of it. So cool. I think up close, that really helped me a lot. See the game, you know, I had I'd caddied for him once in a real, real, well, actually it was during that time, actually, I shouldn't say 
in the past tense, it was during that time, um, caddied for him the first year of the Hogan tour. He played out, uh, I think they called the New Haven Open at Yale Golf Club. Oh, yeah, very special golf course. Yes. Have you played there at Yale? Well, I mean, uh, that was sort of our arrival in college, right? So I, I played there. I have not played there since, you know, I played on the college golf team and played at Yale. But it is, and yeah. I'm, by the way, just two seconds on Yale. I mean, for people who haven't played it phenomenal Rainer court, you know, McDonald course, the scale of Yale. There's a great YouTube video that Tom Doak narrates called the scale of Yale, which is just, if you've never played and I mean, you have obviously the scale of it, the, the terrain is unbelievable. And um, I'm so happy that Gil Hans, they, you know, hired him to sort of re, right. uh, to sort of bring it up to speed because it's kind of fallen in disrepair in you know mm. recent years but it's got great holes and i think probably the greatest Ritz par three in the united states um on that ninth hole and it's just it's a fantastic golf course well so that's i told this story two nights ago and you just you tapped into some of it and i'm <laughs> caddying for dad and he's, he's not playing very well and he was playing with uh again a couple of names you might remember mike holland who actually i think won um he won the old disney team event with I'm going to say Vance Hefner, if that's another name that I can remember. And then another guy named Eddie Pierce. Both have been really good you know, kind of junior and college players in the 70s and, and 80s and, and uh, you know, kind of were coming up in the 80s. So he's playing with them. And he wasn't playing very well. And I just remember him talking so much about, oh, this is a Redan hole. And here's the Biarritz over yes, here. And yep, I thought, wow, yep. you're really more interested in golf architecture than you are in getting the ball in the hole. Um <laughs> You know, we but we had a close interest in Seth Rayner because one of the courses that he the course he oversaw in New Jersey there were 36 holes, but one of the courses was designed by uh, Charles Banks. So I'd learned a lot about C.B. McDonald and Rayner and Banks through that, right. and uh, and so um, you know, again, that was sort of also an introduction to, for me to golf course architecture. Yeah, he for sure. Beth, Beth Page too in one of those years. Yeah, so we talked yeah. a lot about Beth Page. And, um, you know, that, that was, then we, then he came back, uh, to Southern California and was director of golf at Riviera for a few years. So that coincided with my, uh, junior and senior summer after my junior year, and I guess some junior year and senior year and, uh, wound up, you know, just wanted to be applied at a few places, got into some really good, good court, good colleges, um, was pretty much knew I was going to I wasn't going to get a scholarship, but I could walk on. I thought I could make the team. Um, knew I was walking on into a good situation at UCLA, uh, walked on there. The coach at the time had actually given dad some lessons when he was trying to sort of last years of um, playing, trying to play um, a guy named Dave Atchison, who'd been the coach at UC Santa mm -hmm. Barbara, and then he went to UCLA. And so I went there, redshirted, played, almost quit golf after my, you know, the next year and just sort of lucked into teaching some junior golf camps in Northern California, um, with these guys who were, um, most of them were working for Hank Haney at some facilities that mm -hmm. he was developing on the West coast. Mm -hmm. And they started helping me with my game. And I actually played in a few, you know, started a few events there my third year and, um, you know, sort of muddled through a little bit the next hurt my back the next year. And oh. so then it was like, just when I thought I was playing well and, yeah. And so that was, that was sort of the end of it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, didn't really, wasn't really playing. And then when you tried to play, you haven't practiced and it's just, and then, then the confidence is going. And so it was semi-disaster, no, disastrous might be too strong, but not great. 
Um, but as part of that is, is taking lessons from these guys and teaching golf camps, I wound up really enjoying the learning of and the science of teaching. And so that's, you know, that's sort of where the career came in. As I got down to my last couple of years in at college, I thought, okay, well, what, you know, what are my paths here? I, I knew I knew golf, but that was, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to play. And then I thought, well, I like school. I was a history major. I was getting good grades. And so maybe, you know, and I love being around sports. So maybe the, maybe the path is to become a teacher and a coach in some fashion. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then the other, the other path was, you know, my roommate was, was going, he was targeting to go to law school and we started talking about it and sorry to a, a lawyer to say this, but I just got, <laughs> got so, I just couldn't see more school and yeah. just, I didn't. I and again, it's, it's sort of one of those sliding doors, um, that you have in life. And, yeah. you know, we, we joke cause I, I think I, sometimes I write my messages like a lawyer and I have to remember that I'm not getting paid by the, by the minute <laughs> or the word. <laughs> so, um, you know, then, uh, I just, again, I still had it in my head that I was, you know, had this thought about trying to get a, you know, get some kind of teaching credential or doctorate or what have you. And um, we, the last year I was teaching, or as I was graduating, um, I guess the summer after I graduated, we wound up, the golf camps we were teaching wound up, they were for Nike, uh, wound up going to Pebble Beach for three weeks. And, again, oh, wow. and so we stayed... Oh. Yeah, we stayed at the Robert Louis Stevenson Prep School for yeah, knows right. That's up there, right? Up there, right? Seventeen mile drive, and you know you've got 40, 50 kids, and I'd done this for a few years for these guys, and you know we I think we did a week at Pebble, and that 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 summer was three weeks, um, and then really thought, okay, this is sort of what I want to do, and so I graduated actually mid year, um, so it was sort of like four and a quarter um, yeah. in school. Went and spent some time in South Africa, but I graduated for a few months with family and then came okay. back. And then really what I started doing, um, I just started thinking, I started studying teaching um, and I was getting all these, you know, back when it was VHS tapes and I was yeah. reading books and the guys who I'd worked with, um, you know, they, they were, they were sending me stuff and they were saying, you know, here's a videotape, you know, it's like one of those things where, and it was really like, it was really kind of a, a much different time, you know, nowadays, you and I would click on a link and say, here, watch this YouTube video. Right, it was like, you'd right. mail somebody a tape or you'd right. loan somebody a book and uh, those types of things. And, um, you know, really enjoyed that. And then that summer we had eight weeks of golf camp and they sort of put me in charge of, as the number two. So we had the camp director who was really, you know, he was, let's call him the grown up. Um, <laughs> and um, who interestingly was, uh, and I, I don't mean to mock that he, he wasn't a grown up, was a guy named Rich Merrick, um, Southern California guy who you want to dig deep into USGA title winners. He was the US boys uh, junior champion. I'm going to mix up 81 or 82, but anyway, so he'd gone to play at Stanford and then that's how he'd wound up in Northern California and, and tried to play Got for it. a few years and then wound up, wound up being a teacher. So still a dear friend of mine uh, to this day. And, um, you know, he said, Hey, we, you know, we talked about who's going to be in charge of this and you're going to basically you're running the day to day. And so that was, you know, that I think too, as I, as I look back on things, I really enjoyed the responsibility of it. And, you know, as you go from wherever that was 1997 to, you know, probably six years later or so when I'm, you know, when I'm working at, uh, you know, having the opportunity to become a take on management, uh, management role. I, yeah, I like I, the responsibility. Yeah, because yeah, that's you one know, so, thing I wanted to definitely explore with you because you sort of, yeah. 
just well, is, is I can returning. get through the golf pro parts quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it. So you're you're the head pro at Las Colinas, right? Uh, you mentioned Dallas. So that's that's right where the Byron Nelson used to be played for many years. Yeah. Um, in, be- um, yeah. in between four, yeah. it's in Irving, I think, or around there, right? It's Irving. Yeah. Irving. I mean, you can almost, you know, just as a stone throw away from, uh, you know, from Texas Stadium. Right. Um, great place to be, you know, as far as, you know, shot to downtown Dallas or Fort Worth. And, and for me at the time, too, not having any kids and being able to travel, you know, the airport's right there. Right. So, yeah, it was just I would went gone to Dallas. I was teaching for a, a couple of years. And, and uh, then my my old instructor, one of the guys I'd worked for and another guy I worked for at the camp, uh, he winds up becoming director of instruction for Seasons Las Colinas. OK. And um, he says, hey, why don't you come over here? I was just about to get married to my soon to be ex-wife. And um, we we were going to move back to California. And he said, why don't you come over here and teach a little bit? And you can work, I can probably get you a job in the golf shop. And it was, I remember the paycheck, it was $8 an hour in the golf shop. And I would barely get to teach, but Byron, you mentioned Byron Nelson, he was there actively doing, and I'm looking across my desk here too. Um, I've got pictures of me with him. Uh, oh, how cool is that? Schools. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I got lucky enough to do most of the golf schools that we have these corporate golf events that we would do, um, you know, groups coming in for about three days and by, you know, the highlight was Byron would come in and have lunch for one of the days. Wow. He would just start talking and then people would start asking questions. And, you know, it was a little bit like the podcast. It was just like, just go and see where, see where you wind up. So this is like, I'm uh, just trying to think about this. So I always remember he, Sneed and Hogan, I think we're all born in 1912. So If we're talking 2000, so he's in his like close to 90 at that point, right? Yeah. So he, yeah. So he turned 90 while I was there. So I was at Four Seasons from 2000 to 2003. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I say I, I finished up the head pro, but I started as you know golf shop person, um, okay. assistant pro type of thing. And again, you know, I, my one of my pieces of advice to my kids and to anybody in the industry is just keep doing the right things and being kind to people and raising, being the first person to raise your hand and good things happen. And so yeah, that's good advice. The golf shop. Yeah. I mean, it's not, look, it's not that complicated and there's, you know, there's a great, I don't know, call it a meme, but it goes around on the internet all the time. It's like 10 things that require no talent, right. You know, just showing up <laughs> on time, um, being nice to people, saying thank you, those types of yeah, things. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so, you know, did the right things. They then they offered me to manage the outside service, which um, at a place like that with you know thirty six holes, PJ Tour event, you know 65,000 rounds, and a whole mix of rounds with a you know we had a three thousand members. You know, although only about a probably a fifth or sixth of those were golf members, and then you've got hotel guests, and then you've got you know, the hotel guests who just come in to play golf. You've got the group hotel guests. You kind of saw right. all kinds, all kinds of things. Um, sure. Did that, you know, went in the outside service and had a couple really good supervisors. And one of the, one of the gentlemen still there working in Dallas, um, you know, running their operations and had a couple great supervisors. And we just said, okay, whatever we've done in the past, forget about it. Let's see what we can do to make things better and did some pretty good things. So, and then about 10 months later, they said, Hey, do you want to manage the golf shop? And of course. Wow. Why not? Why wouldn't I? Top, why not? Top 100 right. golf shop. You know, yeah. Top 100 golf shop does over a million dollars, which in 2002 was pretty good. That sure is. And yeah, then uh, did. So that was that was the uh, 
Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. So that was must have been late 2001, and uh, or no, sorry, yeah, late 2001. Started managing the golf shop. So um, we had our the head pro, you know, director of golf, head pro, and then myself and the other you know managers. Um, head pro goes to open up, goes off to open up a new Four Seasons. It's it's coming online, and right after he leaves, nine eleven hits, and so we don't fill the position for a little while. Yeah, mm, you okay. know, because that's was nobody knows what's right. happening. And anyway, right. a few months later, yada yada yada, they post a job, and I apply, and myself and a few other guys at work and outside people apply, and they gave me the job. And um, then in that sort of year and a half to follow that of that stint, um, managed to get my PGA membership, and. Uh, and, you know, did it pretty quickly, kind of took my, took my PAT at the beginning of 2002, didn't really even start my books until, or sorry, took my PAT 2000, got my books at the beginning of 2002, and then went level one, two, three in, in 2002 and three. And, wow, that's uh, fast. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did it really fast. And I, again, that was kudos to my ex-wife, who's still a wonderful person and doubly wonderful for putting up with me. Um, she, you know, we just kind of said, this is, you know, this is one of those things you're on a clock, um, you know, let's get this done. And, um, and then I get called to the GM's office at the hotel and I think, okay, what did my mouth get me into now? And he said, what do you think of Costa Rica? And I said, not a whole lot. And he said, I, he said, well, you know, we're building a resort there. I said, yeah, no, it's not coming online, uh, for a few years, uh, or for a you know, year and a half. He said, no, he says, no, you know, first time in our company's history, we've got a project that's way ahead of schedule. And wow. so went down there a month later, met with the GM and the ownership, and they hired me as a director of golf, which probably answers part of your question is how do you wind up more in management uh, right. or outside of golf management? Right, and right. Outside so, of golf. Although my title was, yeah, title was director of golf, but I uh, was able, able to oversee um, golf, ma- golf operations, golf maintenance, the tennis operation. The beverage car to a very small extent we had some we had input in uh you know the management of the restaurant but but again just having that sort of wetting your appetite uh into into food and beverage into bigger picture management was really interesting we were you know was lucky enough to get there for the end of the construction of the golf course and and actually our grow in and our construction and grow in superintendent i'll be meeting with him next week at the, the pga show um, Steve Watkins, who's done ma- amazing things. And, uh, you know, so I'd, I'd moved down there. The time was perfect. I just got divorced and then, you know, down there and wind up meeting my wife after being in Costa Rica for almost a year. And, uh, you know, we start long distance dating between Costa Rica and Orange County. And, and, um, you know, again, for me, I, I I'm just curious, did you I meet knew, her? Was she, was she down there on vacation? She was, no, great question. Great question. Um, so she it was doing sales for Four Seasons. And oh, so okay. He was bringing basically essentially groups of travel agents down yeah. there on yeah, yeah. familiarization trips. You know, so it was we were brand new, brand new property. Um, should have made that clear. Brand new property. So she's bringing people, travel agents down to introduce them to this. And, um, you know, as you know, they're looking for executives to entertain. Well, you know, of our executive team are the 10 of us half, you know, portion of them don't speak great English. And then another, another portion of them are married and not wanting to spend an extra four hours a night at the resort entertaining. Right. Right. And then there was, there was this idiot here. So, um, 
<laughs> you know, and I was a great free meal where I don't have to cook something out of a microwave. Right, because right, you're a bachelor whatever. at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I'm a bachelor, and so I, you know, I say we started entertaining clients, and then we wound up entertaining each other. So, um, <laughs> you know, then so, and it was, it was, it worked out really well. You know, I would come visit my my mother um, and brother were in Southern California, sort of between between Palm Desert and uh, in Santa Barbara at the time. And then she was in Orange County. So I would see, be able to see my family, be able to see her. Yeah. Things, uh, yeah, things sort of went from there and, you know, and, and I really loved working for four seasons, uh, but then unfortunately they were so limited on the golf properties and, you know, I, I didn't really want to start, you know, establish roots and start a family in, in Costa Rica, just again, special place. And I strongly, if anybody gets a chance to travel there, or if you, if you can live there as a younger person, be there um, and go there because the people are really spectacular and the whole country is just magical. Um, but we, you know, we knew we wanted to start a family and, and set down roots and, and four seasons. I think the only thing they really said was, Hey, well, you're interested in going to Dubai. And, you know, that was a real unknown at the time. Sure. Um, oh yeah. And I still don't think that we would, I don't think we were that interested anyway. And um, wind up leaving four seasons, go and work, for a company called JC Resorts in San Diego. Um, so you'll know a few of the courses. Um, they Rancho Bernardo Inn, who way back yeah. in the day, they played yeah. a San Diego Open there. And Temecula yeah. uh, Creek, which is now part yeah. of the Pechanga Resort. Um, we had about a dozen courses there. And so, as I say, Four Seasons sort of gave me my, my degree in, in management and JC really gave me my master's. In yeah. And I want to just pause on that for a second, because yeah. it just strikes me as thinking about your, your tremendously successful career in, as, as in the management side, that the four seasons must have been phenomenal training. I mean, they're yeah. sort of known for the quality of their training and stuff. Yeah. So if you were going to be a golf guy who pivots to yeah. more management, I mean, that had to be in retrospect, the ideal place to sort of, you know, learn your craft as a manager, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, one of my really good friends was the, uh, was the training manager in human resources. And so she, and again, four seasons didn't have a whole lot in the way of golf specific things. And, you know, she and I sort of took what, what little they'd done corporately and ran with it and developed what really wound up being there, at least the template of who knows what it looks like now, 20 years later, but sort of developed the template of the training manual yeah, uh, for, you know, for the golf, for golf. And, you know, I just, I still to this day, and I can remember doing it, I can remember doing it at the time and say, okay, we've got to make this manual. So it's paint by numbers, you know, for right. listeners who don't know what that is, go look it up. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we just, and I said, as long as you know, your login code to the computer and you have a key, you know, where to check out the key. Um, well, actually, you didn't even have to know that. You said to read your manual about where to go check out the key. If you brought your ID, we would be able to get you set up in the golf shop and be able to check in golfers, be able to load clubs on carts and be able to greet people and go through what it was to be a starter and a you know, player assistant on the golf course and all of those things. And, um, you know, I, I can remember this day and Paul Ernest, our, uh, who's somebody I should try and get to on the show, um, former national merchant. I would love here. that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, he was our director of golf and, you know, played at Texas with Randall Chambly and a few other guys. Oh, wow. Who, okay. Who you know, um, and he was just a very smart, you know, smart business mind. And, but we were talking about standards tests were one of the big things that, um, that four seasons would, would, uh, 
push. You, you got to do standards tests. You got to test the standards. Yeah. And I can remember it's one of those things as a 28 year old, you just roll your eyes. You're like, uh, this is like, you know, taking the garbage out type of thing. And I just remembered us talking about it. And I, I don't know, I still don't know what the epiphany was, but I just kind of blurted out to Paul as we were talking you know, amongst all the managers. I said, I said, I think I just realized this is the most important thing I can do in my job. Like, cause if we, if we're trying to, you know, yes, there's a business aspect to it in dollars and cents, but you know, also we had great labor standards. So it became again paint by numbers. You just follow the labor standard for your scheduling. Um, but if you, when you, got into that human element of managing, just making sure people knew what they were supposed to do, making sure they had the resources for what they needed to do. And when they had a misstep, being able to talk to them in a respectful and appropriate way to get them, yeah. get them back on track. And, um, you know, we sort of had the joke of, you know, oh, guy, you know, the guys would say, well, I always know when you're testing me. I said, well, good. That means when you get a hundred there, I know you can do it every time. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, we just, we, it was just, it was a great, it was a really fun time. And, you know, I think even going through 9-11 for as, as sad and tragic as that was, and again, I can't even, even want to put a parallel to work, but, you know, it just, it taught you this different set of muscles that you had to flex. And, yeah. you know, we worked, we started, you know, if somebody, if we, we worked, the company did a really good job, at least in Dallas, did a really good job of not laying people off. I mean, when your occupancy goes like this in America, you know, I'm sorry, I'm pointing down to my hand with my hands. Yeah, okay. no, I, um, I, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, your occupancy goes straight down and some of your biggest clients are American Airlines and American Express who have no idea what the world's going to look like for them in the yeah. Next, yeah. Know, next few years. Um, you know, and so we had, as we had golf managers maybe leave and go do other things you know we'd have people from all over the all over the club coming to work in our department so you get this different insight to what was going on around the hotel and and different perspectives about how these managers maybe trained or talked to their staff and uh you know again i i i probably manage too much this way i mean i think some people like to write a big white paper or a treatise and you know for me it's it's a I really usually say it's movie quotes because um, it's a kind of a combination of movie quotes and then the quotes of my life, the things, the little things, the, almost the vignettes that I have in my head um, you know, of things that I remember. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, and then you, you know, moving on to, to segue that to JC, you know, we were, we were not, we were sort of, I, I was describing this to somebody the other day, we were the upper mid, middle level of the markets, but in the San Diego area. And okay. it was very, it was very good golf courses, um, but it was great value too. So, and when I say that, you know, talk about that mid upper mid market, it sounds like a strange place to be, but when the recession hit, so I was with them from 2006 through nine, when the recession hit sort of late, when we saw it, we knew it was going to really hit us sort of late 08. Um, we were in a good spot in the market because um, you had you had all these new daily fee courses, even private clubs that had opened so much, you know, with real estate plays in Southern California. Right, right. And all of a sudden, these places that were $150, nobody's showing up to play. Whereas we, with our courses anywhere from, you know, a, we had a par three course, you know, run that we were running for a city and then, you know, all the way up to um, Encinitas Ranch, which was doing 70 something thousand rounds in a year. And, and you know, club courses are charging $90. You know, we, we kind of slotted in, we had this sweet spot where it was this trickle down, you know, people who I still want to play golf, but I'm not playing this expensive course anymore. Right, you right. Know? And 
Lacoste at the time, they took a pretty hard hit. And yeah, but just working there for a guy and another person I want to get on your podcast, John McNair, who's uh, the vice president of golf for JC and now actually currently sits, uh, he's the district director for the PGA for, um, so he sits on the board of the, on the national PGA board. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And so he was, he was a my mentor. And again, he, we joke around and he taught me so many things, including a lot of things about not things I wasn't going to do, um, which is an important lesson. <laughs> yeah. It's an important lesson. Learn, absolutely. learn something from everything, you know, yeah, absolutely. Say, absolutely. Learn, uh, learn what not to do, but no, they, he just taught me so much about, you know, marketing and not just marketing in the broad sense, but marketing and as far as like a guerrilla tactic, a direct marketing and how are yeah. you connecting with the customer? And yeah, just thinking about our director of PR talking about guys, guys, you're talking about the steak. Tell me about the sizzle. Like what, you know, you got to give me something to sell. Like you know, it's gotta be what's special. And, and also about the business of food and beverage. So when, you know, when it came to staffing menu costing, which is something that's near and dear to my heart today. Sure. Um, but also just the things you could do, you know, we, we were, I think in a way we, we were a little ahead of our time without knowing it and being, you know, leaning into those local experiences and making sure we were supporting the local, you know, stone brewery, which is a, everybody in, across the country knows this now. Yeah. I used to yeah. go to the stone brewing when I lived in San Marcos in North County, San Diego. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, I just learned a lot there and um, really like, again, tough times, you know, you kind of come out, you know, the other side, you know, creates dime pressure creates diamonds type of thing. And, um, as the, as we came, we're sort of going through the recession. I just happened to get called by four seasons again, um, saying, yeah. Hey, we, yeah. are you interested to come back? I said, well, what's going on? They said, well, you know, you know, the owner of four seasons, Santa Barbara actually owns Montesquito country club again, full circle with life. That's where my dad was a member and I grew up playing golf. Right. Um, right. I, I, when you said Montecito before yep. a country club, I, yeah. So yeah, that's, I knew, that would be, yeah, Ty, I knew you knew that, it was coming up. That would be Ty Warner, right. Uh, uh, yeah, so Ty Warner, yeah. billionaire, beanie babies. Um, and he'd own four, he owns four seasons there. Or well, it's not a four seasons anymore. I think I'm not even sure where it stands now after the, well, the mudslides and everything. <laughs> that, that, that could be a podcast in and that's of a, itself. But, that's a, uh, that's a five part series. Yeah, um, so as you know, yes, right. So, yeah. So I go, they, they tell me they're, uh, you know, I'd first heard about this project that they were going to do in, in early 2000, probably 2003 that he was buying. Uh, Montecito Country Club, old Max Bear design course. Um, he yeah. bought Sandpiper, which um, for those of you in Southern California, hopefully you've got a chance to get yeah. out there. Old Beautiful Fred Jones course. Senior course, yeah. top 100 public course for years and years. Yeah. Finishes with a par three, very, very unique. Yeah. Um, which I think, speaking of Tom Doak, I think he's got his hands on there. And I think he does not, I don't think he's in love with finishing with a par three. I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> See, I, I mean, know, once I, I, I once yeah, I'm sure you played Pastiempo. I mean, that proves that you can finish with a par three, and it's yeah. a great course. So, but um, yeah, that's yeah. funny. I uh, so yeah, and then uh, then Rancho San Marcos, um, which is again a really sort of under the radar course, just uh, over the San Marcos Pass. If, if you if, for those of you who know right. how, if you're going to go go hang out in Solvang in Danish country. Right. Um, or go try and take a shortcut to go wine tasting. You might go there if you're trying to hit all the right. spots where they you're were. Gonna, if you're going to try to replay sideways, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. If you're trying to go replay sideways, you might go through there. But so Ty had bought all these courses. And so, again, the, the vision was a little fuzzy. But what I knew was that he was going to have Nicholas come in and redo Montecito Country Club. 
and then and be part of this new rebranded membership. They'd already spent uh, about 60, $80 million on the Coral Casino, which um, is a little different than what it sounds like. It's a beach club in Santa Barbara, yeah. right across the street from uh, Four Seasons. And again, right. one of those places that's really tough to describe. Um, you know, to people who haven't been there. And so I jumped at the chance. It was so, again, I had this unique title of director of clubs, which basically I was the general manager uh, of both the clubs. Um, so, so we're talking about like all those different properties. That's a lot of property. Well, I just, I just had, I just had Montecito and I had uh, Coral Casino. Coral Casino. And, and, and again, just, yeah. I just to echo what you're saying, just for people a little more kind, I mean, Coral Casino, it is right across the street from the Biltmore Santa Barbara. Yep. It's an incredibly beautiful, historic club with a great swimming pool and you're right on top of the Pacific and you know it's a yep. it's an amazing facility I agree yeah and so we just it was just coming into its reopening we hadn't quite even opened all the areas the beach club um, and then Montecito was going to shut down any day now type, type of thing this was this was Memorial Day I, I started the Tuesday after Memorial Day in uh, in 2009 and I remember that because I was in um, New Mexico opening a new property for JC because my boss, John was at his brother's wedding and he couldn't be there. And I'd given notice and he said, you've got to go to New Mexico to open this place. I can't be there. So I take a flight out the early morning on Memorial day from Amarillo, Texas, back to San Diego, see the family, have dinner. And then the next late that night, I'm driving up to Santa Barbara, but um, you know, it just, uh, just a really cool spot. So again, Montecito, it's, the views are exceptional. Um, you know, as a golf course, it's, it's, it was a challenge because it's bound by essentially bound by the one Oh one freeway. Right. Um, and for those of you not from Southern California, yes, we say the one Oh one, um, <laughs> and you got, and then you've got neighborhood all the way around. And so there's no, you know, there's no, none of this, Oh, we can gain, you know, nothing. It's not like, you know, Hillcrest country club there in LA where all of a sudden they've got this giant plot of land in the middle of the right. course and they can right. add, add right. all kinds of things. Um, there, exactly. there's none of that. So, um, it was just exciting, you know, getting to have, you know, Nicholas's guys come in and taking a look at it. But, you know, again, partly because of the economy, um, you know, I'm starting as the recession's still in right, swing. Right, right, because you're 09, so it's right, the 08, yep, 09 yep, recession. Yeah, you know. and, uh, you know, and also with, you know, the great things about billionaire owners is when they are focused on a project, things get really get done. The downside right. is when they're not focused on a project, they, <laughs> right. they don't get done. So, <laughs> Um, you know, 2015, we still hadn't broken ground. Um, we really, it's, we did the great, but the plus side, the real plus side was by not breaking ground, we just looked at it as a Petri dish. We tried all kinds of different things. We tried different events. We had members who were still there and engaged. And so we did not slow down as a, as a group. Um, you know, Four Seasons wasn't fully invested or wasn't fully involved at Montecito at that time. So I really was lucky enough to, as a, as a, as a real club manager, general manager, I was able to just do all kinds of things. And if we wanted to do something, you know, we wanted to knock down something or, you know, change an event completely. We did it, you know, we, we weren't dealing yeah. with a board or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, and towards the end of 2015, finally, you know, we had really had a lot of visits from Nicholas and then we did eventually close down. Um, but I'd also come, you know, probably this is a, the fork in the road that, that I was coming to for a while was, okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to stay here and stay the course? Right. Or 
you know, I, and I viewed it, I had three, three options, stay the course, let's go through this renovation, um, yeah. let's, and then see it through and, you know, be in, you know, I was living in Ventura at the time and, you know, just be here, this is what you're going to do. And I, I really, that was, that was very attractive to me. Um, but again, with a single owner, there's the pros and the cons of, yeah. you don't know what you're going to get. Um, yeah. and you know, I'd seen a few things that made me scratch my head and, you know, you know, wasn't really sure about where it was going to wind up. And, and so, you know, then the second thing was, okay, well, I'm with four seasons and with one of the leaders in luxury hospitality, um, what are the options of me becoming a general manager? So, you know, somebody with no rooms experience and no, no four seasons food and beverage experience, if you will. So I knew that was gonna be a little bit to overcome. And, but I asked the question and essentially it was, they were, they said, we've got a training program. It's probably going to take you 12 to 18 months to go through. So you're going to do your regular job as well as sort of these other, these other things. And again, one of those things in hindsight, looking back, like you think, oh gosh, a year is so long, but it's really not that long. So I was sort of mulling that over because the the third avenue was, you know, I'd gotten a taste and more and more of my PGA brethren, you know, I just was getting into CMAA. I'd actually um, just got my certified club manager status at at that time. And so now I had not only the PGA background, I had the CMA background. I'd done a ton of education in food and beverage. Um, and really probably, I mean, I can, it was in that time that I really fell in love with food and beverage. And again, my advice to anybody out there who's trying to segue from whether it's golf or tennis or finance or marketing or sales or whatever you are to try and, you know, fitness to try and move into the general manager, because you got to know about food and beverage. We, For sure. uh, we run a co we run a dual assisted GM program here at Royal Palm and, really you know the one is overseeing food and beverage but the other one who's not knows in order to get his next step he has to take yeah on some food i totally agree that's such a key thing i mean that's the touch point for everyone at the it's, club i mean you might the, not you have some yeah. golfers some tennis players some people at the pool but everyone's going to eat and and everyone's uh, gonna, well and again depending on where you are they're going to drink too so yeah um, and drink right right eat and drink so, right <laughs> you know, and, and I think that was, that was the first, I mean, I've always loved to eat, you know, families traveled all over the world. So, and I, I'll, I'm literally one of those people who was, I'll, I'll try a bite of anything once. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, getting to know some of the bartenders in four seasons and when we travel to four seasons, I'd want to see yeah. what are the drinks that you're making. And, yeah. You know, so we tried to bring some of that to, to our clubs as well. And I think we did a pretty good, pretty good job of it, but uh, yeah. So then I'm that third Avenue is, the member owned, you know, board run private clubs. And I said, yeah, I think this is, this is, this is probably where I want to go. I wasn't hundred percent sure, but, you know, I talked to enough people, a good friend of mine, Todd Kiefer, a PGA member, same path as me. He'd become, he was uh, later was president of the Southern California PGA, but he became um, the GM at Wilshire country club. Okay. And uh, you know, so he was there for a few years, and so just talking to him through everything, and it, it sort of for me that really probably with Todd that solidified for me that yeah, this is what I what I want to do. Um, I didn't know enough about governance, which I'll touch on in a second, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's that. you know, and so I I remember again, this is will be it will be uh, six over so 2023 now. It'll be seven years ago this week. Um, I was at the PGA show. I was coming back. First time I'd gone to demo day and I was sitting on a bus with a couple of friends and get a call from um, the search firm that was doing this, this search at Sherwood. And they said, Hey, yeah. uh, you know, you put your name in for Sherwood. They want to interview you. I'm like, great. And this was a Tuesday. I said, when do they want to interview me? He said, Monday. 
okay, great. All right. Monday it is. So, um, yada, 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 went down and interviewed on a Monday. And by Thursday I was giving notice to four seasons. And, wow. Um, you know, they, they were nice enough to say, Oh, you know, take a month to take a month before, you know, just, um, give a month's notice. If you want to take a little time before you start. And I said, well, here's the challenge is we've got Jack Nicholas finished, just finished the renovation at Sherwood and we're doing a grand opening on March 3rd. And you want me to start on March 1st. So I said, I'm going to come in early. So uh, I finished my job at uh, Four Seasons Santa Barbara at three o'clock on Thursday afternoon on February 18th, I think it was. And uh, at five o'clock that evening, I was sitting in the boardroom with the board um, as as a off the payroll employee, I guess, for another few hours. And, you know, so that, that, uh, and again, Sherwood, for those of you who don't know, you know, Tiger, uh, Tiger Woods has had his yeah. world challenge or target world challenge, all the different names. Right. That all the different on. iterations it went through. Right. Um, and so we had, you know, Nicholas had come in and redone the course and it wasn't that it was a, again, an overhaul, again, another place you can't move a whole lot of play. No, because the homes and the, the way homes, it's all situated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stunning homes and, you know, Santa Monica mountains and, and everything, yeah. but um, they did an incredible job of rebuilding green complexes, redoing the bunkers, sand cap the entire course. So, um, you know, the rains that Southern California has been going through right now, I'm, you know, texting with people there, members and staff at Sherwood. And I'm saying, how's it, how's it going? And they're sending me pictures and it's, you've got a fully drained golf course. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, some yeah. of these places. Um, and I'm sure you saw the pictures of your, you mentioned Wilshire. I mean, Wilshire yep. was just that, that Barranca just was like a raging river, but no, Sherwood is in good shape. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're in great shape. And then, so, you know, again, being at Sherwood, you hear the buzzword governance. And to me, honestly, till probably 2000, that was 2016, till 2014, even being in CMAI, governance didn't, it doesn't resonate what, what yeah. that was and what it means. And, you know, from, for, put it simply for the, the listeners, it's, it's really just the structure of how the club is run from a really big picture level, not even from my level, from the day to day, but it's, it's the board, which is typically, you know, your board of volunteer members. Right. Um, typically wherever you go, they've all been successful in whatever they've done. And so with that success comes a certain level of, uh, what are we going to call it? Confidence. Um, in, uh, in their ability to know, you know, they, they might've been a lawyer in their previous life, but now they're a amateur semi-professional agronomist and, uh, or, and, or an F and B expert or, yeah, well, that's, no, that's everybody's an F and B expert. Everyone thinks they're an F and B expert, but yeah, yeah. no, but it's, uh, you know, and, and again, I think that goes back to, you know, food and beverage being one of the most challenging things, but it's, it's, it is interesting. And I think that's another part of why I love doing what I do is talking to people and listening to what they have to say. Cause you know, you give 20 people the same cocktail and the same steak, and then you ask them to describe what their feelings and emotions are, and you're going to get 20 different answers. So, but learning about the governance, you know, who, and we really focus, you know, at Sherwood, we got to a really good place. And then in here, we we've got to really quickly an exceptional place thanks to the, the board leadership and, and thanks to, you know, also bringing in some outside uh, advisors to help, you know, kind of moderate some discussions and bring in some other ideas, just the roles and responsibilities, you know, and if I'm, even as a, if you're a director of golf, okay, who's in charge of your, your golf shop, who makes decisions, buying decisions, you know, if you're overseeing 
or working closely with your director of agronomy or superintendent who sets the standards for rough heights and green speeds and things like that. Uh, you know, cause it's, it, the, some of the more dangerous things can be the guys who are the chairs of your golf and greens committee who decide like, yep, you know, no more, no more 11, to, you know, foot stimp meter speeds. We're going to be 13 come, you know, hell or high water. And, you know, and again, it's, this is why there's such turnover in these, a lot of these positions right. where, where right. I exist is because you just wind up pulling out your hair and, yeah, um, you know, but where, where you get places where you don't have, you know, you get great leadership both at the board level and then with their volunteer committees who, again, making sure you do what you can to have your committees act in an advisory capacity. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of managers that get, a, get scared of committees or not, not scared, but maybe just keep committees too much at an arm's length. And I, I think you, you want it. There's a right, really, there is a right way to involve committees I and mean, communication. Communication is just you know, over and over again. It's such a buzzword with, with staff these days, but also just with membership, you know, just, assume everybody's an adult and, and go from there. And if there's right. a bad message, I'd rather learn bad news quickly than, than slowly. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but just talking to people about what you're trying to do. And, you know, I, I there was a, a manager who I uh, talked to, you know, I won't say who this person is or where they work, but um, you know, was having a tough time with the club where, where he was and was saying, you know, just, you know, these people, they don't like me. They don't, you know, I said, well, what are you doing? You know, are you out, are you, do you, you are you on the floor are you on the first tee are you walking the grill room he's oh no i just you know i said look it's really tough for someone to want to fire someone they don't like or that they like sorry they they like right right. it's tough to fire someone they like and i said you know i i just had a great email from a member who was thanking me for something uh you know she said i really appreciate that you listen to that you listen to us you don't always agree with us but you listen to us and and i think that's really all you you know, that's all you kind of hope for in any relationship is that, you know, somebody listens to you and under, you know, tries to understand because it's, again, I, I'm still the, you know, I'm 50 later this year, but I can, you know, still every now I'm the idiot. I read an email, I start to fire off a response quickly. And then you read it again and you go, Oh, that's not what that person's talking right, about. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, I think working with, you know, the governance, working with committees, making sure that they have real impact uh, an impact in the sense of feedback, you know, that you're taking their feedback and, you know, it's not, I mean, there's a, there's a club that I know. And again, this, I think this club's heading in the right direction, but, you know, talking to a couple of people there and they were talking about their menu and they said, well, yeah, the, the house committee is going to announce the menu to the membership. And I said, tell me that again. He said, well, yeah, the house is going to tell, you know, it's their, it's their thing. I said, well, did they design the menu? Well, no. Did they food cost the menu? No. Are you cooking the food? Yes. I'm like, well, you or the director of food and beverage or the clubhouse right. manager or the right. GM or somebody, you know, first of all, take credit for where credit is. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, again, that symbiotic relationship of taking the feedback from the committee, giving the, giving them feedback because, you know, they may say, well, we should do this, this, and this. And you just say that, look, that kind of service doesn't work here, you know, or it doesn't. And doesn't here's really. why, and here's why, and here's why, and here's why don't, don't keep me in the dark. Here's why, um, you know, and I'm, I'm more, I look up at my board up here and I've got, a, you know, a lot of little things that I write as they come to me. And, you know, one of them is, you know, let's fail together is I put up there, you know, let's make mistakes, but we're going to be together. Right. Um, you know, it's not one of the great things that happens at clubs and by great, I'm being sarcastic is there can be this culture of credit and blame. Like when something great happens, 
you know, members can sometimes want to know, well, who's the one individual that's responsible for this? And when right. something goes wrong, right. who's the one individual, right. you know, who's, who's to blame. Um, but the other thing is, is too, that we've really been pushing here. And in fact, I think our board has, has embraced this in, in some way is progress over perfection. And if you're, you know, I, I liken it to, if you wait to when you're, the time when you're ready to have kids, you're never going to have kids. So don't wait till all the environmental factors are perfectly lined up because right. whatever it is, I promise you, it's not, it's not going to be right. Perfect. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, I just, I still have friends who are PJ pros, um, who have just stayed in the, in the golf lane and they say, I just, I couldn't talk to you know Mrs. Smith about her burger or, you know, the, whatever's wrong with the, the card room or the tennis courts or the, you know, I, I'll, I'll just keep with the green speeds and the tournaments, um, <laughs> you know, but I, to me, again, it's, it's a little bit, this is super cliche, but it's a little bit the spice of life. There's a lot of variety. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I try to think that, you know, in my career, I've been taking steps, um, you know, to, 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 to a new challenge each time. And, you know, the great thing here is we've, we were sort of creating our own new challenges. So we're less than, I think we're uh, 80 days away from closing the golf course for a Jack Nicholas re renovation. Mm -hmm. um, he actually previously renovated the course in 2002 uh, from what was originally a Robert Trent Jones senior design. Um, and so the Nicholas, you know, we're getting ready to shut that down. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I think about how long some of the renovations in Southern California take and, Every renovation in South Florida says that we're going to start sometime in March or April, and we're going to shoot to be open in Thanksgiving. And I think, man, that sounds a lot faster than Southern California, but you know, you've got weather pressures here that you have, or you have to get things down. Things well, you down. also, and the, but the advantage you have is you have somewhat of an off season too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're not, I will say that South Florida, you know, I well, so as I would tell people, Southern California, sure, when we had a season, it went from January 1st through December 31st. <laughs> exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, and here we, uh, you know, we had, which, you know, is, is it good or bad? It, it's neither. Um, you know, in Southern California, you're just, you're sort of busy all the time. So it's like, all right, look, if somebody wants to take vacation, you take vacation because there's never really a, a dead, dead time. I mean, right, right. Sure, would we would have some members who might, spend a little more time in the desert and big sky country, right, desert right. in the winter, big sky in the summer and, the, right. you know, a little bit of Hawaii thrown in there too. But, um, you know, more and more in, in, you know, Boca Raton kind of has this, you know, sort of reputation of like everything shuts down after mother's day. And I, that probably was the case 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, you know, there's a few, few clubs around here that do, closed down after mother's day and they, you know, they have almost no operation. Um, we have about roughly 70% of our membership that's here year round. They still do travel a lot in the summer. Um, but that third, you know, 30%, third of your membership being gone, <clears throat> excuse me, in, uh, you know, in that off season, I mean, that makes a big impact because it's, it's typically your golfing crowd too, who's gone. So the golf course gets right. much quieter. Right. And then, you know, you take away a third of the people who are dining in your restaurant, that's impactful. So you can do a lot of things, but, uh, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite shut down. And I think COVID probably changed some of those behaviors. It's for um, sure. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, people viewed Florida as a place where I can do even more. And they realized all that Florida had to offer, you know, in Florida can I won't get into politics because that's about the last thing I ever want to get into. And, you know, it was, you know, let's just say it was a very open place. Um, you know, when we moved here in December, 2020, 
versus what we were, you know, living with in, you know, in Ventura County and LA County where I was is, was not quite night and day, but it was very different. Very different. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and, and again, no, no disrespect to governors Newsom or DeSantis for any decisions they made, you know, you make the decisions you have with the information you have, but right. Um, you know, so I think that's changed, that's changed the golf business here and the club business. Um, now will things, you know, life tends to be cyclical, right? So what's going to happen? You know, we saw, we were looking over our rounds reports from last year. Um, and in May of last year, rounds 22 versus 21 absolutely fell off the map. And I, you know, I think it was one of those things where it's okay, it's time to leave again, but now I'm really going to travel. And right. so we'll see, right. we'll see what happens. Um, you know, we've got, we've had some groups of members take on some trips to South Africa, which, um, which has been great. We've got wine trips. We've got a few golf trips, some international, some domestic coming up, um, you know, which is, so again, it's a great opportunity when we're closed to really push those things. Um, I do, I really think, you know, if you can, and it can be tricky, right. Cause you've got different personalities and membership and it's great if you can get eight couples who all know each other, but I think, clubs that travel together really thrive, you know, and those are, those are. So do you, I'm just kidding. I I could talk to you for hours about so much of this stuff, but just on, on, on the, on that part, I'm curious, do you or people in your staff get involved with structuring those trips? Do they accompany the people or are these just couples doing it kind of on their own at the club? Um, So D all of the above, Um, you know, but for the most part, we are facilitating, we're facilitating it at least, um, at a minimum. Um, I'm a big believer in third parties. Um, you know, there's some, again, there's a ton of companies out there that, that you could go through. Um, you know, this company premier Africa who we use for Southern Africa travel, um, they're great. And it's really just, you know, we just got to get people signed up and then that's it. And it's, you know, as, as with a lot of these companies, if there's, um, certain, well, certain these companies, if you get a certain number of people to go on the trip, then a representative of the club can go or the, that person in a, in their significant other or whomever. Um, so there are those where we use the out third party. Um, then there are those that we arrange ourselves where it's a little simpler, um, you know, maybe especially on the domestic side of things. But in either um, case, you're offering that as something to your members, even if it's a third party, you're saying, yeah. Hey, you know, we're going to plan this. If we have enough interest, we'll plan a South Africa trip. And you might not be the, you may be using a third party for it, but it's a service you're offering to your members. It sounds like. Yeah. And I I think it's, I think it's, it's great. You know, we, again, you use that, uh, that, that history, you know, we've got a few members now that have gone on this trip. So they're there uh, giving testimonials to anyone who will listen. Um, You know, our, our assistant GM who oversees food and beverage, you know, she is very, serious, you know, a serious wine knowledge. She and one of the other food and beverage managers are likely going to be heading up a, well, we're putting the finishing touches on us. That's why I say likely heading up a trip to Napa uh, this summer for members. And again, like I, I look at it at a, as, you know, it's a killing five birds with one stone. It's right. you know, great time for the members. It's great bonding time for the members. It's great bonding right. time for the members with staff. It's educational for the staff. You know, if, as long, you know, and, I, and I've been, I've done corporate trips where you've had to, you know, it's like, you don't sleep, you're doing these 24 hour a day things, you're sort of on call. So sometimes it doesn't feel like the most relaxing thing, but there is certainly a fun element to it. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get to do some um, Sun River trips in Kiowa and a few other places with you know, some corporate, corporate outing things. And so, 
um, yeah, I, I think it's just, I think it's so important. And then people come back and, you know, ideally you get, you know, I think what happens is you, it's difficult to get just eight couples who don't know each other, but if you can get, okay, these three couples know each other and these three couples know each other and these two. And then, I mean, it's without fail, the eight couples who come back are all now friends. And so now right. you've got, not only is that your new, that a new friend group, you get to be friends with all of their friends. I mean, it's like, right. the, you know, what's right. what it's the shampoo commercial and so on and so on right, and so, so on, on and so on. Know, so on right. Um, <laughs> You know, and I, I think again, it's so much of it. It's a South Africa trip, the, the Napa trip. Um, you know, guys traveling to Ireland and you know British Isles, or, you know, all over the British Isles. Um, you know, food and beverage play again plays a big plays a big role of it. And absolutely, you know, it's so it's so sensory. And you know, I, I use this word. I don't even know what's the word. I guess it is. Um, but you know, creating food and then trying it as opposed to going to play golf. Sometimes it's it's so you know, it's emotional and participatory. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and then cultural too, uh, you know, lucky enough to go to, uh, we were in, my wife and I were in uh, Cartagena a few years ago and actually during the wildfires of 2018, we were coming to okay. California and uh, which led to an interesting evacuation of my mother and three dogs and our kids and everything. Um, but, you know, just going, doing a walking food tour around the city and, you know, as you're trying something, you get the story of how this came here and whether it was from, you know, originated from Colombians or came with Venezuelan immigrants or what, you know, how the, again, everything, everything has a story and it tells the story and it's a socioeconomic story too, because sometimes it starts with, you know, the rich elite could only eat this. And then the, you know, the poorer classes were eating something else. And again, I'll, Andrew Zimmern and Anthony Bourdain, um, you know, rest his soul. They all said these things, you know, you can tell so much about an area and the people by the food Absolutely. That, that you're, that you're eating. So, you know, I, I just, I, I remember, and I, I don't want to, she'll never listen to this podcast, but the general manager at the Four Seasons in Santa Barbara would, she would go on vacation and always come, but when she came back from vacation, she'd have all these ideas. And it was like, we'd all want to run and hide because she'd have all these ideas from her <laughs> vacation, from the hotels where she were, where she was. And then then all of a sudden I realized in 2016, when I was first year in Sherwood and went to probably my second or third, second trip to New Orleans and went there. And I remember I came back and I had this stack of menus and these pictures and I thought, oh boy, I'm the same person. So anyway, I, I like to think she had great ideas and I just caught up to her um, that I'm not a nuisance. But, you know, I, again, there's, there's so many things out there to, to steal and to borrow and to bring, bring to people and um, you know, especially on the food, on the food side, you know, I mean, you, you look at the, how people travel in the world and especially in the, well, just in the world, not just the States, but you know, you, so many people don't travel outside of whatever it is, 50 miles, I can't remember the number, 50 miles right, from right, wherever right. they were born. And, you know, even, even people who have the means while they will travel, they still gravitate to what they know. So I think introducing people to things that they don't know about is really, is really what helps, you know, again, it kind of comes back to the club experience you know, the party we threw that we just threw for the membership last night was a, a format that they'd never done before, but it was something that I'd done at my previous three clubs that was so successful that I was, I kept asking, what, what do you mean you haven't done something like this? And, you know, the members coming up to us saying, I can't believe we've never done this and I can't wait till we do it again. So, you know, it's just, I get excited about, about new ideas. I get excited about polishing the old, uh, you know, the old ideas um, and I think it's just, again, not being, 
not being afraid to change. Um, you know, and I talk about, you know, talked about failing and the fear of failure, you know, fear is the, is an innovation killer. And that was something I'll give to the board a lot is please, whatever you do, you can always give us feedback, but don't, you know, don't make the staff afraid to try something new right. because you will just, then you'll, you will be whatever blackberry you'll be sob you'll be right companies right. that there's a know, long history littered with those examples right don't exist anymore yeah. and you know it's not a, it, it's stuff it's it can be difficult you know change you know you whatever people say change is good i change i say change is scary you know it's scary for people you know to different levels it's just scary for staff i mean when i came here you know we've been lucky enough that we haven't you know we've we've turned over a, a decent number of the managers. Um, but I say that in a way that in no, with no negative connotation, right. But I think there have been people we've helped advance their careers. There have been people that have gone on to something that more aligns with what they, what they wanted to do. Some couple of people have gone to work from home, a couple of people retired and, um, you know, so, you know, as a member, you, you know, you being a member at a private club, you know, you see new faces and, you know, the reaction is, Oh, what's going on here is, you know, Again, I don't know if this is an American thing, but it's the first reaction is what's wrong? What's going right, on? Right. And, <laughs> and you know, it's I have a, a you know, there's a colleague, you know, he wrote a he wrote a really interesting thing that he, he put up on LinkedIn. And I just kind of boil it down to, you know, whenever whenever an employee leaves, or this is more for when an employee gets terminated, which as I say, we didn't we haven't really had to do any of that. But whenever an employee gets terminated, and, you know, members say, I can't believe we gotta, we can't let so and so go, and you know, heads need to roll now. And you know what this this manager said? He said, "If he, he was, I promise you, if I stood up on a stage and told you everything I knew about this situation and all the background, and I shared all that with you, you would 100% agree with me." And again, that's why we get hired as golf professionals and superintendents and directors, food and beverage and general managers, because we have to make those decisions. You have Absolutely. to gather, gather the feedback. So, um, you know, and, and that stuff, you know, we, I think you and I have talked before a little bit about being, a, you know, Platinum Club or Distinguished yeah. Club of America yeah. and different things. I mean, those are those are some of those things that, that you you have to do. You have to be, you know, innovating. And I think those those all those outside agencies that recognize clubs and, and evaluate clubs and give them rankings and whatnot. And, and even especially as club managers, I think they're looking at a lot of those things is, OK, so what kind of changes are you making? And and what kind of innovations and what kind of development are you doing? And when I say development, it's development, not just of your operation, but it's a development of the people. And, you know, nothing gives me a greater charge than having people. And I just, I just realized another day, the other day that, you know, so I've got three people who work for me in some capacity, in a very direct capacity, who are now GMs at properties. Um, just wow. had our assistant general manager who was here in September, he's now at a, a club just North of Jupiter. Um, He's a general manager. My number two at Sherwood is now uh, down at Mesa Verde in Orange County. Yeah. And um, a gentleman, uh, Ryan Newton, who works for Discovery Land Company, and I'll take whatever credit he'll give me, which probably won't be much, but he worked for me in the bag room at Four Seasons Las Colinas. Oh, wow. And he worked for me, and then he worked for me in the golf shop. And then again, he's, 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 do all credit to himself, but he's gone on. He's now he's the general manager at the new project that, uh, Discovery is putting working on in Hope Sound right next to Michael Jordan's place. And yeah, um, you know, oh, it's oh, just the Grove, it's, right at the Grove. Yeah. It's, yeah, just right next to the Grove. And, and again, I think that's, you know, if people said, well, how do you, how do you succeed as a manager? Um, you know, there's a million answers you can give. I think, 
you know, this sounds so cheesy and very Californian of me, but I think it's caring is, is right up there. Um, there's a, a club consultant named Michael Crandall. And one of the things he said, I'll, I'll butcher exactly what he said. Again, I told you it's all movie quotes, right? Um, <laughs> he said, he said, you know, if somebody reaches out to you and asks for help and you can help them, and it takes less than 15 minutes of your time. You absolutely should. And, you know, again, is 15 minutes, the perfect number. I don't know, but um, this afternoon I've got somebody who sort of a friend of a friend of a golf pro friend. Um, he's in, in a the wellness aspect of the business. And he said, Hey, I want to be, I want to, you know, I want to be in your role someday, but okay, let's go come on over. And we're going to spend, we'll spend an hour together and we'll go around the, the club and I'll, I'll lay out, you know, all the different things that he can do. And, you know, or that he needs to do and some different avenues. Cause I do think there's different avenues to, to success, even to get to the same place. But, you know, I had a, uh, I had a, somebody, somebody talk to me about this too. And it might've even been Michael Crandall. I don't want to give him undue credit, but he's a great, he's a great speaker, former club manager. Uh, and he talked about, you know, whoever this was, was talking about, you know, when you get staff who come to me who say, you know, I want to be the manager and I want to be this and I want to do that. It's like, you know, okay, well, first of all, talk to me. Are you, are you clear? in what you want to do. I wish we were on camera because I'm holding my fingers like I'm counting off. <laughs> so the first thing is, are you clear in what you want? Are you clear in what you want to do? Uh, what your vision is for your your career? Yep. Okay, cool. Number two, do you know the steps that it's going to take to get there? Yep, absolutely. Number three, are you willing to put in the effort, pay the price, do what it takes to get there? Because again, a lot of people you know, it's easy to say, yeah, you know what I want to be do is I want to go, you know, probably a year ago, I want to go be on the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You and everybody else, because you know, you're going to be one of the three or four favorites to be on, to be going to the Super Bowl. You know, how was it a year ago to say, you know, I want to be on the Detroit Lions, right? you know, until they're down to the last couple hours of the season. And then, right. you know, even, even to see, you know, that stuff's inspiring, right? And again, I get inspired by sports. Is, oh, you know, totally. Everybody always says, you know, sports never, never loses or sports wins again. And, you know, watching, you know, watching Jamal Williams running back from the Lions getting interviewed after they beat the Packers where the nothing's on the line. Nothing, nothing's right. It's line. all decided, right? Because Seattle's on the line. in before yeah, the Seattle's game. Seattle's in. Right. You know, Green Bay has to win. And, and granted, right. you know, you can make an argument that Detroit had nothing to lose. So why not? But, you know, and he, he was, you know, he was like, the, the guy was emotional. He's emotional about his grandfather totally. passing away. Yeah. He was, but he said, yeah, you know, don't forget about us. You know, you all picked against us. And again, look, it's easy to say after you win the game, but you know, it's like that stuff gets, I mean, I'm like, I'm watching this and I'm ready to run through a wall and, you know, let's go. How are we, how are we going to, what can we do? You know? And again, I go from running into 300 pound linemen to like, okay, how are we going to curate this cocktail for tonight? <laughs> um, you know, so it's, you know, I, I hope, I hope when, you know, nobody is going to put on your tombstone, great manager, nobody cares. Right. But hopefully they put, you know, great friend. Um, yeah. you know, obviously, I mean, that, that hopefully becomes behind husband and father and son and brother and nephew and all the other relations that I have. And, um, great friend, but great, you know, mentor, someone who reached out, someone who took the time and, um, you know, you'd asked me, you know, before we came on about, you know, being involved in Southern California PGA and yep. you know, I, for, for years, years, um, you know, probably starting in 2008 or nine when I was thinking, okay, so if I transition from JC, it would, you know, either is probably going to be in some kind of bigger project. And 
but you carry that, you know, for, for a while, you know, when you first get it, you carry that PGA name with pride, you know, that acronym at the end of your, um, you know, your email signature, your business card. And then there's a while where you, then I started hiding from being a golf professional because it was, you know, you'd get the, the guys, you know, Larry, the golf guy. I mean, I was the golf guy, um, you know, and it was like, oh, here, here's the golf guy. And it's like, well, you know, I, you know, I, I did graduate with a degree and I'm fairly good at math. And yeah, you know, there's a yeah. couple other things that I can, that I can do. And oh, by the way, I have tact and, uh, you know, some gravitas and, um, you know, my languages aren't terrible either. And, um, you know, and that was going back to four seasons, you know, at, at the, the, the human resources manager who had, who had pushed me is she was, she was kind enough to put me in some of these training courses that we were hope that they were having at the, at the hotel. And she, I mean, I think she did to pat herself, told me this is a little bit to pat herself on the back a couple of times, but also it made me feel good and, and put a bit of a chip on my shoulder. She, she said, she said, you weren't included in that first go round of attendees. She said, I said, he has to be there. Um, and then afterward, you know, and she tells me this because afterwards, so the people who were, weren't putting him in there all came to me and said, I can't believe we didn't almost have him there. And again, that's not to toot my own horn. That's more just to, that was another way. That's her way of, again, reaching out to me and doing something for me and putting, putting me in a position where, you know, where I could succeed. And, you know, and so then as, as I was, you know, one of those people, it's like, you can complain about the problems or be part of the solution. And talking to my, you know, my wife, Meredith, you know, in 2014, 15, and being part of, you know, involved in CMA. And, you know, I was sort of just still getting breaking in, but, you know, she said to me, she said, why, you know, why wouldn't you get involved in the PGA? Why, you know, what, what are you, what's holding you back? And, you know, we've had, she's pushed my kids. And again, we're far from perfect, <laughs> far from perfect, but we really, we do strive to, to give back and to help others in a variety of ways. And, you know, for me, it's a lot easier and, you know, and again, maybe, maybe more fulfilling because it's in my industry. Right. She said, absolutely. Why don't you just put your name in? And I, I did, I ran for late 2014, ran for the board of Southern California PJ and hadn't been involved in any of the committees. So not surprisingly, didn't get elected. Um, but then I did the atypical thing where when you don't get elected, um, that, you know, you don't run again. Well, I decided to run again, but night for the, you. The SCPG. Yeah. Well, good for that. Good. For, thank you to the SCPG guys who, when I didn't get elected, came up to me and they said, Hey, look, a lot of people don't know you. We want you to be involved in, you know, in what we're doing. And so invited me to be part of a few committees and, um, you know, I was involved in, you know, employment committee, which is very, a very fulfilling committee, um, the code of ethics, um, committee and which, you know, hopefully you never have to be called on, but you get called on for a few things right. here and there. Right. Um, and then the next year we're, you know, down in the desert. And I remember speaking to a ballroom of people and asking for their vote and telling them what I was going to do and got elected. And, and then luckily got re got reelected again, a, a couple of years later, um, you know, along the way really got involved. And, and I have to say, and I know, you know, Nikki Gatch, the yeah, new, yeah. Pre, new, uh, I was new say president, director, but I guess, right. I guess executive director, I keep wanting to say president, new executive director of Southern right. California PGA. And, you know, has done so much for the Southern California golf association. Yeah. And I'm really looking to see what she's going to do for the Southern California PGA, even though she's already done a ton. Um, but you know, the Southern California PGA with, uh, Tom Addis, who was the yeah, executive just director. retiring, right? Yeah, just retiring, former president of the PGA of America. And again, 
get him on the podcast. We'll get him yeah, on the podcast. Uh, I got, I, I'm going to, I'm going to call Nikki. That's on my list. I have that yeah, one on my list. Yeah. You got no short, you got no shortage of people, but uh, you know, just getting to, you know, getting to uh, be involved with everybody and then, you know, getting, getting recognized for a few awards um, you know, the Bill Strasbaugh award, which yeah, absolutely. again, to me, it's right. like, it's one of those things, again, sounds so cheesy, but it's just an honor to be nominated. You know, it's it, the Strasbaugh Award is really about being a mentor and reaching Absolutely. out to, to people. And um, again, I, I think I was doing doing those a few of those things, um, you know, and then getting the next year, um, getting the what was then called the Homer Smith Award, but is now being the Professional Development Award. So you got you got the trio. You got Strasbourg. You got Professional Development. Then your PGA Pro, Golf Professional of the Year. You kind of won the Troika. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I can't like you know look. Other things may come down the line. Um, you know, most of our most of the accolades that we get now are, are team oriented, which is again for me is great. You know, the recognition yeah. from from Platinum Clubs and well, I, yeah. And I was going to say, I mean, the Platinum Club stuff, which you know, I mean the you answered almost all the things I was going to ask you about. I mean, you can just listening to you um, talk about your management style and, and your theories and, and, and approaches. It's not surprising that you've, you know, been at places that have made it to the platinum club status. That's for sure. Um, yeah. and, and, um, uh, you know, and I'm, we're going to have to, we're going to definitely, I know we got to wrap too. Well, we're going to do part two because I want to talk to you about a lot of golf stuff. Um, Please. (laughs) Right. I'm always in a look. I'm I'm the left handed reliever. I'm the 49 year old left handed reliever. I'm never going to retire. There's (laughs) always a need for me. So when you get a cancellation and I'm dying to talk live golf with you, you're, you're much more important than filling a cancellation. We're definitely going to do a part two and talk more because I, I I am dying to get your thoughts about live and golf and where golf is today. Cause I know you have a lot of great thoughts in, but Rob, the, the stuff on, on where you've gone with your career and all the stuff you're doing at Royal Palm, it's great stuff. You've been spectacularly successful and I really want to thank you for this and but and i definitely am going to hold you to coming back again for sure because we got a lot more to talk about lock <laughs> lock it in lock it in golf guy i appreciate it thank you so much thanks larry